Hey tribe, welcome to Word Up with Danny Katz, your one-stop 5D superhero listening spot. Now, here at Word Up, we host a number of different podcast series, including Words Are Matter, Planetary Service Announcements, Witchy Life Hacks, The Conscious Awesome Show with my amazing co-host, Justin Polgar. It's where we play Spot the Propaganda together, and it's where we have high-vibe, deep-diving conversations with amazing humans. So be sure to hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for this week's episode. In today's Conscious Awesome podcast, we explore human beings' addiction to being right. If you want to scope it out as a video version, head on over to our Locals page, where you probably want to join us anyway, because it's not only the home of all our videos, it's where we host live streams, it's where the community mingles, it's where extra super special stuff happens. Conscious Awesome locals.com totally free to join and if you're inspired to become a financial supporter yes there is extra special content as well stock up on chocolate yes cacao.com your favorite adaptogenic high vibe raw chocolate and finally danny has a book that you totally want to read word up little languaging hacks for big change On sale now in print, digital, and audio versions. Link available in the show notes. I'm done with my (laughs) up-pitching. All right, buckle up, kids. It's time for the show. Yes. 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 Hello, and welcome to the Conscious Awesome Show with your hosts, Justin Polgar, that's me, and my, my lovely co-host, Danny Katz, with the pop callers. We're both popping callers today. It's that kind of thing. Uh, you know, re- the practical use of the popped collar is actually to protect the back of your neck from sun when you're out working in the field. I honestly didn't know that, and I feel so much smarter <laughs> for understanding that there's a function to what I thought was just fashion, and I put my collar up so that I could be like you because you're my fashion hero. I'm, you know, we could do, we could do buns. My bun's a little far back though. I find that with the headphones, having the bun too far forward, it's problematic. It's mm-hmm. problematic. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we covered the, the collar piece. There's probably some more tidbits in there. I just, when I lived in New Zealand and I was working as a sheep musterer, herding sheep like with a staff and everything i loved that part having the staff part of course very felt moses-ish mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh one of the guys who had uh who was a professional sheep herder muster uh he had his collar popped the whole time and i realized when i was talking to him it wasn't just a fashion statement even though he was like a very like manly man like a southern manly man in new zealand um, but I could tell that he had some kind of, I got to make sure that I look cool thing. He had the super short rugby shorts, 
you know, nice matching socks. I am such a fan of the super short shorts. I don't even know what you're calling super short shorts, but these days when I see a man who's wearing shorts that come mid-thigh or higher towards the belly button, I go out of my way to compliment him on showing the leg. Bravo. And a great thing to do. Just, A, show off those legs, especially now if you got them. beautiful. I don't understand. I, I'm really excited for this long-standing, like, multi-decade decade trend of these really long shorts and long bathing suits for dudes to go away. I want to see the thigh. Yeah, I also, I feel more available for the world when I'm wearing shorter shorts. And I also, I'll join you in the, in, like, mid-thigh and up. Like, I, I switched my swim trunks. That was the first thing to switch was instead of getting board shorts, I got sh shorter shorts, kind of what I would associate with like an 80s, like yes. an early 80s bathing suit. Thank you, bravo. Difficult to find them without the netting. Right, the netting is a thing. Yeah, You not... can cut it out though. That's true. Um, then, you know, I guess I don't mind the outline so much. It kind of does inhibit the outline when you get out of the pool of being like, hey, check out my silhouette. What's wrong with the coronal ridge outline? It's a beautiful part of the man's body, and I don't think it's anything that you should be ashamed of or feel like you have to hide. I, I agree. Consciously, I agree. I realized that through cultural conditioning, there was this, that's my private part. I'm not supposed to flaunt it kind of but a thing. behind cover. Of course. That's just, this reminds me of that Joe Rogan comedy sketch about... Um, having a hole in your jeans that just showed some tube. Oh, I totally remember. Equating that to cleavage. That was awesome. <laughs> I feel the same about nipples though, because also in the past few years, they've made it a trend to put these pads in bras. I'm sure you've seen them, so that you no longer see women's nipples poking through the shirt. And I'm like, but that's the coolest part of women's bodies when they wear shirts. Like, I love, the, the nipple outline. And I feel like the marginalization of the nipple is actually, it should supersede Black Lives Matter as far as what we really need to rally behind as a culture right now. And everything else that seems to be like such a hysterical emergency, let's put it aside and move forward with freeing the nipple. Whoever takes that as their presidential, like big thing to tackle has my vote. Who's not gonna get on board with freeing the nipple? I mean, misogyny. That's an easy one, though. That's an easy one because I think <laughs> that just takes a couple cultural cues of it being cool to be to be what we used to call smuggling raisins in summer camp. Oh, that's so cute! Smuggling raisins. I love it. I I, I also it doesn't. Uh, I think part of it is it, it distracts people. You know what I mean? It's that same. Uh, provocative clothing distracting people and we have such biological cues for nourishment and arousal through the nipple so in some ways i think it's it's part of uh like protecting culture but i think that i think we're ready i think as a culture we have evolved to be ready to share silhouette of nipple not even not even areola and nipple just silhouette of nipple yeah, I'm, I'm not lobbying for let's take our shirts off. I'm just saying, can we just let our natural shape be? Like your coronal ridge, I really look forward to you not feeling enslaved to the mesh netting in your bathing suit. 
I feel like I've come a long way. I have. I'm, oh, back to the short shorts. Just to bring it back to the short shorts. Uh, I feel more available for life. You know, it feels more like I'm just exposed more to the sun also. There's, it's a sad thing a little bit to have super tan knee down and then just white thighs. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm denying part of my body. The, well, the gift I of the sun. It also feels yucky when your shorts are wet to have that much wet fabric. Cause I feel trapped by wet fabric. Own as little wet fabric on me as possible. So to have all that bunched down, like all the way down to your knees, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like it would be very comfortable. You gotta jump back in the water. Mm. Yeah, water. That's the I good. Swam the river two days in a row this week. Which river? The Rio Grande. I, I just wanted you to say that. I, I wanted you to say the Rio Grande because it the does sound. The river in America. The Grand. Do you know where the Rio Grande starts and finishes? No, because I was educated in this country. So I know dick about geography or really anything. <laughs> Do you? The Rio Grande. I think it goes to Mexico. I feel like it comes off of the Colorado River. That it does. That I know it does. I feel like I... Where, it would, that's where, isn't that where California gets it, all of its water? Uh, no, we got a lot of, oh, got a lot of stuff. Maybe it's just LA. Yeah, LA gets it from a lot of places. Yeah. The desert is yeah. LA. That is LA. So, Justin, what are we talking about today? Ah. Aha. That was a... Well, we've been kind of been dancing around and trying to find out what to what is calling us authentically and I appreciate audience um, being patient for us to figure out what we're talking about today <laughs> um, foreplay this is just you know the foreplay part of the episode episode 20 episode 20 we're we in have a, a little celebration decade Woo! this is my celebration Ooh, I like that. That's uh, the Carlton. It, oh, right. That is the Carlton. <laughs> mm. uh, 20. That's a good one for me. I'm a 20. I live in a family of 20s. I celebrate every 20. That's I like that you're little, equating. She is going to be a 20. Or it'll ruin the whole pattern. Well, she's going to be a 20 born in this year. Oh, that's true. She's Eight, grandfathered in. Way to handle that. Yeah. I think about these things. No, actually, I think about these things afterwards, but I think that there's a divine intelligence. So this is, this is what I, uh, I'd like to talk about with you today, DK, and, and with our audience as witness. I'd like to talk about our addiction to being right. Okay. I like that you, that you uh, threw in the our pronoun because it really- I want to take responsibility. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you inviting us both to take responsibility. Let's do it. Addiction to being right. The addiction to being right. You know, act, I've been playing with it. This is just, a, it's a topic that is uh, kind of at the forefront. It's up there. And I've been playing with it because I get into a lot of conversations where, where the two people don't have the same opinion. Weird, right? Two humans not having the exact opinion about something wrong thing 
wrong thing. <laughs> opinion, uh, heard opinion. We have not accomplished heard opinion yet. <laughs> um, it's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been playing with this where I get into conversations and I'll mention, I know that we both think that we're right. Let's just lay that out there. And I'm actually fucking right. And I joke about it because um, I think that there's a certain confidence that comes, there's a certain confidence that comes through when you really own a perspective, when you own being right about something, being honoring all, everything that brought you to that opinion, to that fact, that sharing. I think that that's uh, an important currency in a conversation is that confidence about your opinion. And uh, I think historically in debate, what you do is you take an opinion, you take a stance and you argue it and you give it, you, you like it's being an actor. You know, you come into that space, you give it your full. And then when the, the ring, the little timer goes off, you are availed from your attachment to that perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like people lost sight of listening to the timer to go off and don't know when to put it down. That's the addiction piece. Do you, have you seen an addiction to be right animating your own self? Yes. Yes, I have. <sighs> I'm, I'm in this. I'm in this with you guys. I mean, I'm in this with me. This is a pretty regular dialogue, monologue. Who am I dialoguing with in my head? The, the, uh, the conference table. The, as a congregation, there's guides, there's small voice, there's big voice. I used to name the voices just to give it a little bit more organization. It's probably like, like my Virgo rising. I think that was also an assignment in a class was to label the different voices that influence you in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in my inner dialogue, because now I've, it's a multi-log in my inner conversation. Thanks for bearing with me in this one. Um, I, I feel this deep necessity to be right in, in conversations that I, that I, that I feel, and that I feel right about having time restraint. You know, it's like that we don't have time to, to just mosey around and just shoot whatever. And like, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe we'll never know. I have this opinion about what is, I have this opinion. We'll, we may never get to the bottom of it, but that's okay. It's a non-consequential conversation. I don't feel like conversations are non-consequential very often anymore. Okay. Um, Help. I know I, so many things are popping into my mind, so I'm just trying to think where to go. Um, here's what's coming to mind, and we'll see how this, this flows in. I was listening to Ted Cruz. Uh, I, I love watching these, this, these like testimonies and these investigations going on, and he was challenging some Democrat. I don't remember if she was like a congresswoman or a senator or whatnot. 
but he was challenging her on the Democratic Party's support for Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And he said, well, it says right here in Black Lives Matter's mission statement that defunding the police is something that they're for. And she goes, oh, well, why do you Republicans take everything so literally? You know, I can read this and not take it so literally. And you need to get hung up on everything being so literal. And it was crazy to watch this woman like rationalize how, oh, let's just ignore this like flagrantly Marxist societal disruptive demand and decide that they don't mean it, which I feel is so infantilizing. Like, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna take this mission statement and you're gonna cherry pick what they mean and what they probably didn't really didn't mean to rationalize your support. And it was just, it was interesting to watch and also very frustrating that this was A, allegedly an adult, B, allegedly an elected leader who was clinging so hard to her position by denying the truth of print of a printed mission. It was thoroughly shocking to me. And it was this moment where I just thought there's not really any hope for, for governmental reform or justice that's gonna happen through our current system. Um, that was the first thing that came to mind while you were speaking. I don't know if it's even on topic. Well, I, I think that exemplifies a strategy of trying to stay in the right. Like that's the addiction piece when the person is obviously is obviously not right, but fighting so tooth and nail to hold on a perspective that is outdated or that is not true. Because something that I come back to again and again is that we can talk about opinions, that's humans do that. Uh, and there's a difference between a, an opinion and a fact. There's a difference. It's, you know, it's, it kind of stems into journalism in a way too, because journalism used to share like the what, who, when, and where. And then the editorial element was, was reserved for the why, right? Opinion of why. Uh, these three, these four, no, not have been like tossed out or actually not tossed out but have become totally subjective. Completely, completely. And so, and that kind of washes into the why where now journalism is really just a bunch of editorials and perspectives um, or opinions. And then what we are expected to do in our conversation, because we listen to information, then when we engage conversation with, you know, in dialogue and when we're, when we're in an experience where we can be right or wrong, we're grabbing these nodes of what some people call fact because it was written or it was fact because it was, uh, you know, through a credible source. I did my bunny ears there. So I, I think in this thing, I could say bunny ears as a quote, I could just call it a farce and put bunny ears on the top of my head for this kind of a, a, a journalistic approach. So the, the subversion of what, of the, of the resources of a, of a debate or a conversation where fact and rightness can be established or confirmed seem to be very much subjective. Where at one point, I think it was more of an objective, like this is what happened. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's part of living in a post-truth Kali Yuga moment. Is and it's really frustrating to see our fellow humans take the bait that all of a sudden facts that don't align with our indoctrination get to be labeled opinions when they actually are facts. It's kind of crazy making. And I see, like I give props to the social engineers who are doing it on purpose because it's such an effective way to divide us and get us at each other's throats. It's working super well. Well, the way that it's not crazy making is to not have an opinion and to just be an observer, which, you know, like um, a dear friend of mine who spends a large portion of his day meditating, and you know, is, a, is an avid meditator. And he is very easy. I mean, it's easy for him to go into that space of anything coming out of the mouth, any opinion, anything that's being shared is going to be, is not truth. You know that, um, isn't there in, uh, in Kundalini, isn't there something about the inhale is truth. Anything after that is tainted. Like I haven't heard that. something about the exhale, everything that comes out of the exhale is, is not the truth. Something there's some breathing exercise where you're breathing in truth and exhaling what is not. Um, yeah. So like when I, when I speak with him, it's actually, it's like debating or conversating with someone who doesn't have a stance challenging right because there's no right and wrong in that in a traditional sense we're not getting anywhere we're just being well you say you're not getting anywhere i i feel like that kind of upends our western mindset of productivity and <clears throat> and also winning or getting on the same page or whatnot versus it sounds like you're just, you're being and you're exchanging and you're sharing in a more detached way and probably a more honest way. Like it, as you're describing your friend, that sounds like an ideal. That's a place that I, I'm excited to be embodying that place at some point. And I'm, I've been really taking my time reading Dr. David Hawkins' Eye of the Eye because it's so good. And, and once I plowed through half of it, I realized I wanna slow down because I don't want this book to be over. And that's something that he's repeating over and over again is that all opinions are ego. Any point of view is, is just totally random and to get attached or identified to it is just ego. And I remember that I do my best to remember that because it's very frustrating these days dealing with so much weirdness. Well, I think we also have this tendency and conditioning to label something as ego and then immediately ascribe that it's not good and it's not part of what we want uh, in, a, in a utopian society. Not saying that that's what you, that's what you just said, just yeah. it reminded me of how many conversations I get into where ego becomes the scapegoat. And... I also, I, it seems to me that ego is a pretty integral um, 3D, ex part of the 3D experience where for me, I'm not trying to kill my ego. Uh, I, I don't have a desire to kill my ego. I do have a desire to be unattached to the ego and know when it's appropriate and when it's not and when to let it go and when to activate it. You know, it's that debate. It's still, it's that acting in the debate where it's like, 
I grab this tool called ego to express something with a confidence and with a certain uh, a certain uh, in some ways veracity, but a velocity, like a speed and a direction. Like this is what I am standing for. And then to know what to put my ego down, set it aside. I, I want more of that adaptable. I'm embodying more of the adaptable uh, tool set that I can pick up and put down in the same way that, um, you know, uh, there are certain things that I would generally ascribe to be good and bad. And in some situations, they're not so cut and clear. You know, like, I don't like to, I w I'm wondering if you were with me in this, uh, in this ceremony where there was a, this is a ayahuasca ceremony. And before it started, there was this creepy crawler, this little bug in the room, kind of strange looking. Um, Cause sometimes it seems like there's new ones, but it's just probably just ones I have not seen before. So I have to remember that I haven't seen everything in the whole wide world or universe. Um, so we saw this bug and because I'm, you know, I'm entering into this sacred ceremony and I want to have be good and be of the light. And I'm, you know, there's this like slaying of shadow. And if I have a preference to not have this, little bug in the room, then that's not, I know that's not good, you know. So didn't kill it, didn't remove it, just allowed it to be. And it tainted the ceremony so hard for everyone until midway through, everyone was having a really rough time. Deep demons being thrown around. It was just this very uncomfortable, people like not having clarity of vision. And then somewhere in the middle, maybe a couple hours in, it was called to the attention of the group that this was the source of it. Because in the, in the 3D, it was just a bug, but it was also a channel. It was a hollow, it was something was coming through that. And it was killed. And it was like, oh no, we just killed something. And then everything turned around. Mm. And the parade of light began. And so I bring that up because that, that required a certain sense of ego to make action because we do live here on earth where action is, uh, is, a, is a thing that uh, is part of the manifestation principle. You know, so I, you know, I, I think in walking a, a path that I'd like to say is spiritual and conscious, there there needs to be a transcending of the duality while also befriending the ego and utilizing action to be, you know, in fully inhabiting the human form. Yes, of course, of course. The ego keeps us alive and it's not about getting rid of the ego or killing the ego or being at odds with the ego. It's about being in right relationship with the ego and not being enslaved to the ego. I recognize what you're saying and I, you know, as you're telling the story about the bug, I think of a lot of vegans or pe people who are really identified with being plant-based as the way. And then I think of, you know, the sort of larger macro of it's all God, it's all good. The tiger isn't bad because he eats other animals. My thing about it is like, this is what's coming up as I'm thinking of 
this topic in addiction to being right, you know, I have, as you do as well, we both have mercury in Capricorn, Capricorn energy. I personally associate with being right. Oh, is that not true? Oh no, you have mercury in the, excuse me, you have mercury in the 10th house. Yeah. Gemini, mercury, 10th house. Um, so I have it in Capricorn and I'm very aware of where that affects my thinking and my speech. And in, in the past, you know, more so th this addiction to being right. And I loved debate when I was in high school because I do have a way with words and it was very easy for me to like slam people and win. And from this perspective, I think debates are so freaking dumb <laughs> and are such an outdated mode of getting one's point across to just cling and argue versus to have like an exchange where we're open and willing to shift. But with the addiction to being right these days, given that, that truth has become, you know, so fuzzy in the face of a lot of weird weird things that we're navigating i'm thinking of i'm thinking of a facebook thread where someone jumped on me for saying that conspiracy theory was a term co-opted by the cia in the 60s and he was like that's your opinion and he said no it's, it's actually not my opinion at all it's super well documented fact and after i shared several links and quotes showing how this was the case, he still said, well, that's your opinion. We'll have to agree to disagree. So I think in the past, those, that type of exchange would flip me out and make me cling harder to my position and double down on convincing the person. These days, I see that who's not open? <laughs> like who's under so much mind control that it's gonna be a pearls before swine situation and I can just not agree to disagree, but agree that this person is not open and agree that there's no point to belaboring the issue any longer because we're clearly not having an open, honest dialogue. Yeah, the, the, in coming back to the addiction to being right, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm open and thinking about opportunities when, when does that get transcended? Like what's the tools that, when have I allowed my addiction to be right, to be penetrated and for a fact or truth to come through and, and alter my opinion of the way that things are. And what's coming to mind is that my addiction to being right could also be, could also be defined as my discernment for something entering the field of right is higher than it was at one point. For something to be a fact, for something to be an opinion, for the discernment of, of how to sort through these things has become a tighter mesh, it's a tighter mesh. So I'm open to having my, what I think is right, be trumped. And it's gonna require a very intelligent and it's gonna require some kind of disarming of of what of what i have researched and come across and what resonates because i'm open i'm very mercurial i i've changed my mind a lot of times when i have when i share an opinion that i have that's not popular and they go oh uh you know it's like how can you think that and i then i say i'm gonna answer that because you just asked me how can i think that a year ago i did not think that 
think about all of the things that I would have had to encounter in order for my opinion to change and for myself to be even open to speak something like that without feeling embarrassment in my body. You know, so that's an important thing. And I, and I say this, uh, you know, with like the medical freedom conversation, I'm open, like, please change my mind. It'll be fucking way easier, but change my mind. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, with like circumcision and like all, all of these, these pieces where I've engaged in kind of heated debate with people who are very grounded in their perspective. And I'm like, tell me what is grounding you in your perspective so that I can a feel connection with you. Like bring me in. I'm open just because I'm going to debate you. Doesn't mean I'm not open. I'm just inviting you to have a more, a more uh, grounded and more stacked response. Two things are coming to mind. And I just heard myself, I think I say that a lot in our podcast. This is coming to mind. Um, Got a lot of coming to mind there. There are. Um, I think, first of all, in saying I'm willing to debate you, I, this word debate is tainted because we debate when we know we're right and we want to win. That is the point of debating. And I get very frustrated watching people like Brett Weinstein or Eric Weinstein or Ben Shapiro who have really smart ideas or even Candace Owens and they want to debate these things and debate just indicates to me an addiction to being right just you just the fact that that is the word that leads into the conversation we, we're having is showing me that this person just wants to be right and wants to win there's not going to be a conversation here and I think the fact that you said that you're the openness is the key. I, I don't, I feel like we know that we're not giving in to the uh, predilection for the addiction to being right when we're open and curious. Um, earlier this week, I had a conversation with a friend and there are these kind of like two activist groups here in town. I'm not part of either anymore. I've completely stepped away. They all, they have the same mission, which is to preserve, you know, medical freedoms and constitutional freedoms. And there was some interpersonal, you know, nonsense that created a rift. And so this friend told me that someone in one of the groups said that the head of the other group is controlled opposition. And my initial thought was, he said that? That's terrible. How can he say that? That's so... That's so harmful for our community. That's so divisive. Like that's libelous towards this other person's reputation. And I just got really angry and defensive. And then I pulled back and thought, maybe he knows something I don't know, actually. Yep. And so I picked up the phone. And I also find that that's a great way for me. Anytime I'm having, like creating a story in my mind or I'm thinking the other person is wrong, I know I need to pick up the phone, not text, and actually talk to that person. And I called this person and I left a message saying, hey, I heard that you said this person's controlled opposition and I really respect your wisdom and your knowledge and I'm curious to know what you know that I don't know. And if you'd be willing to share with me what has you making this assessment. Have open. Heard, open. Heard, exactly. But it, it just felt so much better to, to go into, oh wait, I actually don't know. And instead of being so indignant and taking all of the tributaries of like this person's talking shit and this is creating division and this, 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 
it, it was such a relief to go into the, wait a minute, I don't know. I don't have all the information. Let me do a little more digging and catch myself up to speed. And I feel like in general, like that's just a great way to see if we are under the influence of that addiction. Is am I doubling down on what I think I know? Or am I asking more questions and opening myself to the other person's perspective? And can both of those happen at the same time? Yes. Yeah, that piece is because I do find myself gathering evidence. I do find myself gathering points of view. And there's a desire to have a point of view. There's a desire to have something that I can stand in and feel knowing of. It also kind of justifies the amount of time that I spend with my head deep in the river of information, discerning what is a fish and what is an algae and what is what is what is. Well, I'm curious to know, I'm, I'm excited to dive into this a little bit because I've gone through phases, like back when I was reporting hard, no, hard news and producing hard news and working in a newsroom, I noticed how it was sort of a crutch for me in social situations. Like I'd be in a party, you know, at a party or an art opening and I would just come out with like, well, you know, this is happening and this is happening. And I all, all these facts at the ready. And that was sort of my social confidence, very Enneagram five. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed this is a crutch and if, and, and, I'm gathering all these things so that other people will know that I'm right, then I'm, then I'm kind of off base for me mm -hmm. and my tendencies. So now I notice that when I'm collecting information and I have it in my mind, oh, save this in your arsenal for when that pushback comes, that I'm off because I'm prepping to defend what I know to be right. And I'm prepping for conflict and pushback. And I'm, and I'm arming myself to micromanage what other people think of me or my knowledge. So what I found for my own, you know, in my process of this, and you know, now we're in a different time where more, more people are gathering these pieces, which I feel is helpful in our current cultural climate because truth has been messed with in the ways that it has. But for my own personal mental well-being, I've found that it's healthier for me to just take in information and let it go. And whether it's there at the ready when I'm defending a point or not is not the point because the truth doesn't need me to defend it. So, but, and at the same time, I've noticed in hearing you speak about a lot of topics, especially vaccines, constitutional law, whatever it is, I'll notice that you sound really resourced and really intelligent and like you know what you're talking about. And I don't have that. I've, I've chosen to let that skill go. And I'm aware that in, when I'm in those situations where I'm expected to defend some things, I don't have those pieces at the ready because I made a conscious choice to not take in information that way anymore. But it's healthier for me as far as relinquishing that historical addiction to being right. No, that's powerful. And that, that, that stirred lots of thought clouds. Um, in my mind, A, in, in also acknowledging that in my experience of conversations that we have, you are very well resourced. You know a lot of things. Whether or not you're deciding when you pick up that piece of knowledge that you're going to use this as a weapon or a tool, that's, that's, that's different, right? That's like uh, prepping for some kind of conflict. Though 
the bringing in information. Sometimes I'm in a conversation with someone and I can't remember the things that I'm like, oh, this is something that I would have leaned on. And it's on me to go, hmm, that's not available for me. to. It's not to be shared with this person right now. It's, it's really keeping a fine mesh, not only on what's coming in, but on what's going out of my mouth. Like I had a conversation, um, this was a long time ago. This was like 15 years ago. I was talking with a friend of mine. I was talking with a friend of mine, collar pop check. <laughs> and he was telling me this story. And in the middle of the story, he got this kind of itch in his throat and he would cough. And then he'd try, <clears throat> he'd clear his throat and then try and speak that piece again. And he did it like two or three times. He said, I guess I'm just not supposed to share that. Mm. And that left a really big impression on me. I don't, you know, for whatever reason, I may have even heard someone do that prior, but the context was very potent. And I come back to that of knowing that it's not about me versus, it's not us versus them, right? It's not actually the, the name of the game, but the sharing and the, the resourcing of us is part of the truth seeker. It's part of the evidence gather. It's part of justice. You know, that's actually how our justice system is oriented, which sometimes I wonder if there's a better way. It's, uh, you know, you, you can argue something that has been proven before. Like the person that has the most details in a courtroom generally wins the art. I mean, that's historically, that's been the case. The person with the most details has the strongest argument. I've been taught this and I've seen it. And so I, I have a desire to to like have more details. But what I'm using them for is actually that that piece can be softened. I'm not looking for conflict. I'm looking for giving myself a more unified position or, or even a more diverse position. I also feel like when we're addicted, when we're operating from the addiction to being right, and then I'm listening, you know, like say you and I are having a conversation and this is activated in me. Then when I'm listening to you, I'm, everything you're saying is filtered through my need to be right, right? That becomes the primary filter through which I'm receiving you. And then I'm just dismantling that. So I'm not really receiving mm. you in your wholeness, right? I'm just playing something out. You know, it's just like what you're saying is just fodder for me to feed my addiction, to be right. I'm not really attuned to the relationship. And, you know, I'm thinking specifically of a friend of mine here who I adore and we have, our political differences are so, so vastly different. And he's outspoken as I am. And we've had, we've had conversations that erupt in a fight and, and in the middle of a fight, you know, of a disagreement. And the last two times that we've hung out, I'll notice when he pushes a point that rubs up against me. And I feel like I want to, I want to approve of him. I want him to know that I care about him. And I want him, I want our relationship to be comfortable and to exist beyond this. So now I've taken on, and this has only happened two times, but I just don't counter him. I let him say what he wants to say. I hear him and I receive him and I'm more attuned to like 
what are the aspects of him that are choosing to say these things to me? And I'm not coming at him from like, this data is incorrect. I'm coming at him from, I approve of you and I really like our friendship. And whether I think he's right about this thing, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I'm not gonna change his mind. You know, he's really inculcated in what he believes to be true. And I don't enjoy fighting. I don't enjoy, like, also that addiction to being right, which is very similar to that addiction to conflict. When I was younger, I really liked that, that shakiness that would animate my heart and that fire. In this stage of the game, I don't like that. I prefer a calm nervous system and I prefer to be peaceful. So it's also picking and choosing like, I don't need to be right. I don't, I, even if I am right, I don't need him to think it or know it. Like it really doesn't matter. Your, your rightness does not depend on his agreement because you're not being right in a herd. You're not looking for herd, herd confirmation. Right. Yeah. That's a big piece. That's really big. And for you to be able to drop the intellect rightness and connect on the heart, you know, to use your heart. Someone's throwing their, their intellect, their mind at you. You're responding with heart. That, I think, has more of a capacity for healing division than the endless detail and racquetball, ping pong, adversarial, mental piece. And there's a really big... I really appreciated you mentioning, I still do appreciate it in this moment, the filtering when, when we're so attached to being right and in a debate setting, we're listening through a very specific lens and missing the point actually. Exactly. Cause we're just looking at, you know, oh, well that word is wrong and that one little fact isn't true. And then the whole big picture, which might be beautiful and I might be completely on board with, I've, missed it because of the lens through which I've decided to take in the information. Yeah, this is uh, you know, a common thing that I hear, especially in this, in this time. Um, and I'll hear this from callers on different shows and different hosts will speak to is, you know, the, the question is, okay, my aunt or my mom or my brother or my friend doesn't understand this. What can I say to them to get them to change their mind? And it's like, you know, the more intelligent hosts I respond with a, why are you trying to change their mind? What does that get you? Are you, do you need them to change their mind so that you can feel more validated? Are you trying to get them to change your mind, to change their mind so that um, you have less conflict with them because you don't like conflict or being able, you need everyone to have the same herd opinion in order to, for there to be peace you know there there these are very important critical thinking questions of why we're coming at something and yeah the, the addiction to being right is very very prevalent it's almost like it's taught i think it is taught in culture and modeled in culture and so instead of debate you know what i'm curious like is that more of a socratic you're looking for more of a an open dialogue yeah. um for a while now, maybe like eight, I feel like you and I talked about this back when we were having our, our, 
our pre-Obama election mushroom. Oh, I remember that. About are we going to vote or not? Um, yeah, I want. I feel like it's time for debate to be replaced with diplomacy. So, like speaking specifically about our political leaders, when they have these debates, I don't want to see how tightly a proposed leader can cling to an idea and drive it home. I want to see how well a leader can listen to an opposing view and find his way or her way to the Venn diagram of crossover and then collaborate on innovative solutions that speak to the desires of everyone involved. To me, that feels more useful. And especially when, you know, it's so outdated. At any time, you know, and the debates have been, they've become more popular since our political landscape has become more crazy, but they just seem to me as archaic as like throwing someone in the lion's den. Like this is so useless and pointless and I don't care how stubborn my leader can, my leader can be. I want to see how well you can collaborate with others. So, and even in a conversation, if someone has a really different opinion, it's not about they're right, I'm wrong. It's about how did you come to this opinion? How, what, what is your style of thinking? What are your values and priorities and the experiences that have, have taken you to this place? And then if I can understand those and, and find a way to embrace those, it probably doesn't matter that we don't agree on the thing. I think in what you're saying, which I, I love this, I love where we're going with this. I've had some experiences of being in that open dialogue and hearing something interesting and then being curious, like, tell me, how did you come to that? Those conversations are so deeply satisfying. I leave those conversations feeling much more filled with a, um, like a human, like a, like a, a quality of humanity that feels like we're going in like we're going in the right direction. You know, like we're going in a direction of unity. We're going in a space of connection. It's a very, it's a very satisfying feeling to connect with people in this way. Yes, exactly. And it, I agree with what you're saying. It is, it gives me hope and it uplifts me. And it's not about like, I dominated that, you know, I faced that person. He knows I'm right. It's like, okay, great. Now I leave with like my ego puffed up in the negative sense. And I don't feel like that's right relationship with my own ego when I'm, you know, really excited about having made someone wrong. It's far more satisfying to connect where, especially when I didn't think there was a place to connect. You know, when we both stuck with it long enough or were creative enough or vulnerable enough or cared enough to put ourselves on the line and share a little bit more such that we could understand why we have different beliefs, that feels more victorious than like changing someone's mind. Yeah, there's a lot of value placed on changing someone's mind. It's almost like an entertainment value. That's what we're modeled. Like that's, that's how you become popular. That's how you become known. It's, uh, yeah. It's almost like probably that's probably some of the motivation for trolling, you know, where it's it's like seeding seeding doubt in people. There's uh, there's like a serpent's tongue thing. There's all kinds of very strange kind of shadowy stuff within the debate format of being right. 
needing to be right. Yeah, I, I really don't see any value in that format. And, and it's an area where I welcome being wrong. If one of our, our viewers, listeners has a perspective that can allow me to understand how debate is functional and relevant in 2020, I'm totally open. Um, DM us on Instagram. Yes, message us. We're pretty responsive. Yes, we are. I mean, there are two of us checking it. Double, there's four eyes. Six. Four, six eyes, nice. The first eye. The first Love eye. that first eye. Yeah. Well, is there anything else on this? that feels I, I feel like that, um, you know, I, I think that we covered some of how to transcend that piece. And, and I love that you're sharing your experiences and then also where you, where you catch yourself and where you're, you're working when you're in the process of evolving your game of, of the human game. And that's very helpful for me. I think it's helpful when I'm in a conversation that is getting heated to stop and check in with myself and to see like, wait, what is my goal here? Am I trying to be right right now? Am I trying to win? I, I actually ask myself that quite a bit. That has become a habit when things get heated. And if that is motivating me, then I know that it's on me <laughs> to shift quickly. I'm... I, I feel like we could button it up right now. And, and I want to know, whoosh, button it up. Um, in a practical scenario where it's not so much just philosophical agreement or not agreement, when we're in a, a situation where someone is asking you to wear a mask. Uh, it's so funny because this was, this was in my mind for the first half hour of a conversation and I just thought, oh, well, it's just won't, won't take us there. Because <laughs> there's, there's a piece where I don't really want to get into a conversation where I'm trying to prove and debate to someone why I do or do not want to wear a mask or, or what, or I'm open to wearing a mask if it's my decision or if I'm discerning that it's to protect the people around me or myself. I'm open, I'm open to the conversation, but I don't really want to have that, that uh, right and wrong, you need to do this, you, you know, so like what, you know, what's the, what's the through line on that? I mean, it's a little slippery. Yeah, I'm, I am glad you brought it up because that is, <laughs> as you know from my several, <laughs> my several phone calls and conversations over the past few months, I'm not acquiescing on that one. And I, I'm, in a, I'm still figuring that one out for myself because I get so triggered on the mass thing. And I feel like it's not about me being right. This is about the destruction of our republic and our liberties. And you and I know that that's what this game is about. So I don't care if an individual person thinks I should wear a mask. I'm not going to wear a mask because it's fucking wrong. And that might be my ego. <laughs> but I'm not willing to kneel to the sham when the stakes are so high. I don't need to convince someone that I'm right. I just need them to get the fuck out of my way and not allege to tell me what to do with my own body. Mm. <laughs> when things get heated, I like to check myself and 
Yeah, there's a difference of me being right versus witnessing the falling of Rome or America and just allowing that to me to be open to that might not be happening. You know, and I think that that's true. Do you think? No, no, not at all. Right? I mean, every cell in my body feels that to be the case based on, you know, and it's not about me convincing other people or trying to get other people to know that I'm right about that. That's just what's right and what's true for me. And when we're operating from what is right for ourselves, not trying to be right, but what we know to be right and correct and right action and right use of will and, and just the, the deeper resonance of our cellular community all agreeing this is how this being is positioned. That is not an addiction to being right. That is a listening to the body. That's a different thing. Yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's extra complicated because it's so wrong use of will. So unfortunately, the propaganda around the mask thing has the people who are programmed believing that we need to protect one another, which is right away like a complete obliteration of proper third chakra engagement. So I'm like you, like, I don't shame anyone for wearing a mask. I don't tell anyone not to wear a mask. I think it's time for those of us who know better to take the masks off. This has gone on far too long already. This has gone way too far already. And those of us who know, I, I am imploring us to be brave and, and let it be as uncomfortable and inconvenient as it is, but please take the mask off now because it's so much bigger than us. It really is our entire Republic. That being said, I have not engaged any conversations where I'm trying to convince someone how viruses are spread, how the body actually works. It feels like a waste of my time. Someone wants to walk around looking like a slave, that's fine. It's not fine. But I'm not gonna tell someone what to do with their own body. I saw a meme the other day. Thank you. That's I'm a hundred million quadrillion percent on board in imploring all of us to be brave. It's not easy, it's not convenient. We may not get the to-do list checked off in in the way that we are expecting to. But if we're talking about the to-do list of being able to buy milk and eggs at a specific place or lose the entire ability of having or the, the whole free society thing, I don't really think that that's a, that weighs out. It just don't weigh out. I don't either. And, and trust me, it's super inconvenient for me. It's super scary every time I go out but I know that I'm doing the right thing. I know it in my bones that I'm doing the right thing. And we really need people right now to be doing the right thing. The I right think thing. We should, Again, like I hear yeah. that and I'm, I'm like, who the fuck am I to say what the right thing is? And For you, you can say what the right thing is for you. And it's really actually calling on people to do what they know to be the right thing is and being honest with ourselves. I think that there are enough people. I think that there are enough people that them doing the right things means 
activating their third chakra means operating from the right use of will means being brave and it means taking a stand for what is right for them yeah yes yes i appreciate that yes because i'm not people for the people who are in fear and really think they like wearing a mask i'm not talking to them that's fine i'm talking to people who know better who know that it's bullshit who know that it's not doing anything for our health and who just want to go to Erewhon without being hassled. That's who I'm talking to. Like, we need to be inconvenienced for a minute so that we can put a stop to this before it goes any further. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank you, DK. Thank you to our audience for staying tuned in all the way to the end of this episode, which is the beginning of the next activity that you do in this lovely life that you are curating. May your freedoms and the bells that ring through your freedoms continue to expand and your discernment of those things also retire levels of consciousness and awareness. We're totally cheering for you in this conscious awesome activity called the show. And um, yeah, tune in next time. Feel free to like this episode, share this episode, if there's any nurgle, any kind of itty-bitty truth that you feel resonant with, give somebody a high five and also share it, like it. Um, follow us on Instagram and uh, YouTube. And visit our website at Tumblr, which is actually ConsciousAwesome.com. Well done. Way to take care of all the, all the business. Check, 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 check. Thank you, DK. Thank you, Justin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Be sure to give it a like to share it with your nearest and dearest. And remember to subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss a single episode of your very favorite podcast, Word Up with Danny Katz. We'll see you soon, tribe.